Oh, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's all who you know. Have you ever heard that phrase? The phrase is tossed around oftentimes in the business world when people are talking about how to to land a job or how to advance in their career. People will say things like, it's not who you know. I mean, it's not what you know. It is who you know. I remember way back when I was a student at Concordia University, Wisconsin. Some of you there are thinking, hey, pal, you don't look that old. That wasn't that long ago, but it's actually been a decade now since I was at Concordia, and I, I realized that this weekend. I just can't get over it, so excuse me on that. Uh, but anyways, I was a student at Concordia, Wisconsin, and I was majoring in business at the time. And as we got closer to the end of our time there, closer to graduation, uh, the business school started sitting us students down and prepping us for how to get a job when we left college. Right? They, they helped us prepare our resumes. They taught us how to interview well. But I still remember that one day when they were giving a presentation and they shared that statistic. I sat up a little straighter. I was sitting in the back, maybe dozing off a little bit, and I, I actually tuned in. Did I hear it right? 80% of all jobs out there are, are landed through networking? Just simply know somebody at a company you want to work for, and you just greatly boosted your chances of getting hired. At the time, I thought, that seems a little bit unfair. But now that I've lived a little bit of life and experienced it, I can attest, it's not just what you know, it is who you know. But this isn't anything brand new to us in our context. This isn't anything new to the world. This is the very same thing going on in Paul's day back in Corinth. The Apostle Paul had founded a church in Corinth and was now writing and setting, sending them letters to guide them which is what we heard today in our reading from the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in the city of Corinth, anybody could be a somebody if you knew the right people. Corinth was a Roman colony, and with that came something called the Roman patronage system. The Roman patronage system was how you were able to, to kind of climb the social ladder back in ancient Rome. And it, it, it basically worked like this. People who had power and influence, right, government officials, wealthy business owners, they were called patrons. And they would take under their wing clients, people of lesser social status. And they would give to those clients network, <laughs> Uh, uh, contacts, inclusion into their circles, even money sometimes to help them get on their feet. Now, in return, these patrons expected of their clientele, well, they expected a few things in return. They wanted their clients to promote their reputation. They wanted their backing in any political ongoings, even warfare. And, of course, the occasional errand they would have their client go run for them. The more clients a patron had, 
the more prestige they had. The more prestigious the patron, the more the clients came clamoring to their feet to follow them, to be associated with them. It was an endless game of carefully crafted self-promotion. It was all about knowing the right people and being known by the right people. And apparently this manner of thinking, this patronage system, had found its way, worked its way inside of the church there in Corinth. We heard it in our reading from 1 Corinthians. People were claiming significance for themselves based on who they were following. And the conversations sounded a little bit ridiculous, especially probably to our ears. I follow Paul. Oh, yeah? Well, sure, Paul's fine. I guess he had that crazy episode on the road to Damascus. That's neat, but his preaching, eh. But Apollos, Apollos, man, that guy can preach. And when he was here in Corinth, he didn't back down from the Jews like Paul did when he left the synagogue. No, Apollos walked right into the synagogue and he showed them what's up. Now, Apollos is better than Paul. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Apollos and Paul, they have nothing on Cephas, right? The one that Jesus renamed and and built his church upon, Peter, the disciple. That guy actually walked with Jesus. For like three years, he studied under him. Apollos and Paul, they don't even know Jesus. They've never seen him. And then he had the most pious Christians of them all saying, oh yeah, well, you guys are all lame. We're the best Christians because we follow Jesus himself. Using Jesus' name as a way to elevate their status. Status. The last thing that Jesus ever concerned himself with. The Corinthians were were striving for significance, and they were creating divisions in the church by doing so. But such striving for significance isn't unique to the Corinthians either. This all still happens today, this same tendency, finding significance in who we know, still happens today. I do it. You probably do it. My father did it just yesterday. He related to me a story of of somebody who's pretty wealthy, pretty successful, and who is staying at their rental home. It's something that just comes naturally to us. We we like to share these stories uh, uh, when we've encountered people who are significant in our world. It's what we do. Now, we probably don't name drop uh, church leaders and pastors today like they were in the Corinthian church, Uh, but you could probably think of a time when maybe you encountered a celebrity or maybe some relation you have in your family history to a historical figure or, if nothing else, a time when you've heard someone else share a story of when they met somebody like that. We do it all the time. It's in our nature. We want to be considered significant, and so we try to associate with those who are considered significant. The patrons, 
of the world. The celebrities that we follow on Twitter or social media. The in-crowd at the office. Those people that management look favorably on. The cool kids in high school. The ones who seem to have no problem finding a date to any of the dances. If we can just crack into that crowd, we think. If we can just get in good with them, then we'll have it made. And to some degree, we're probably right, because it does make a difference who you know. But maybe you've also seen the darker side of this patronage system, this striving for significance. The Roman patronage system was laced with corruption. Patrons would take advantage of their clientele in ways that I don't even want to mention to you. But maybe you've experienced that too in your own life. When somebody in a position of power abused that power for their benefit but at your expense. Or maybe you've noticed when the scandals come to light and those celebrities that were celebrated are now despised and desecrated. Their followers take flight. Maybe you've felt the drain of constantly trying to amass likes and followers and shares and the disappointment when those numbers are underwhelming. Or maybe you have been abandoned in your life by friends or family, cut off from those groups when you said or did something that you couldn't take back and people didn't want to forgive you. There's a dark side to this who-you-know stuff. And Paul sees it. Paul sees the disunity that it's causing to the church in Corinth, and so he appeals to them by the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that they stop their striving and come together. Paul name drops Jesus not for his own status, but because he knows that there is no other name and no other man like Jesus. Think about it. Think about how Jesus completely flips and turns on its head the human striving towards significance socially. Jesus wasn't born into a family of influence. He could have been born into any family that he wanted. He's God after all, right? But he was born to Mary and Joseph, a poor family. And we know they were poor because in Luke's gospel, when they come to present Jesus at the temple, they can't pay for the costly sacrifice, the lamb. They have to sacrifice a couple pigeons, the poor man's sacrifice that the law allowed. They were probably young, as Jewish marital customs went, and if you trust a couple outside sources from the Bible about Mary and Joseph, Jesus, born in a barn in Bethlehem to a couple young and poor. And Jesus didn't grow up in an area of significance. 
He wasn't raised in New York City or L.A. or Silicon Valley. Nothing like Corinth, which was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, by the way. Jesus was from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel said, one of the disciples before he actually met Jesus. Was he in for a surprise? Jesus would gather his tribe, his 12 disciples across all socioeconomic statuses and from sketchy pasts. And Jesus traveled with them across the land, living like a homeless man with no place to rest his head. And yet, Jesus would associate himself with anyone. And it wasn't just the poor and lowly that came to see Jesus. There was Nicodemus, a high-ranking member of the council of the Pharisees, who was so impressed by Jesus, he had to have a one-on-one with him that night. There was the centurion, a high-ranking official in the military, who pleaded with Jesus, asking him to heal his servant, saying to Jesus, Lord, I do not deserve, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and you can heal my servant. There was Joseph of Arimathea, the one who actually took Jesus' body after he was killed and buried him in his own tomb. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a rich man, And he was a member, too, of the Sanhedrin. And then there were the crowds, the masses who came and heard Jesus preach and teach with power and authority this nobody from Nazareth. Why? Because he wasn't a nobody. He was the very Son of God. And even if the people couldn't grasp that, they had to have sensed it, right? The power of Jesus, the miracles, the the wisdom that was constantly pouring out of his mouth. He was always on point, always so sharp, Jesus. No one could ever throw him off his path. Jesus always had it all together. Because he was and is the Son of God. He is God himself, one with the Father. He is the one worthy of the highest accolades, the the highest praise. His name is above every other name. Jesus is the perfect patron. And the best part about this patron is that he will never leave you or forsake you. What did Jesus do with his power? He laid down his life on a cross. He died for you. He rose again for you. And Jesus, he won't cut you off from himself when you fall from grace. He won't disassociate himself from you when you deny him by your lips or by your lifestyle. 
And no matter what your social standing is, no matter how insignificant you might feel, Jesus will always welcome you into His circle. It seems a little bit unfair, but that's the beauty of grace, and that's the benefit of knowing Jesus. It is all who you know. Today, seven of our eighth grade students will be confirming their faith in the name of Jesus. God instilled this faith in them in their baptisms when He claimed them as His own sons and daughters. But today, having grown up and having learned more the content of their faith and what it means, they will confirm what was planted in them in their baptisms. Today, they will confirm what they know. But that old adage is true for you seven as well. It's not just what you know, it's who you know. And you know Jesus. You know Jesus. Our faith is not just all the things we have up here. It's not all the scripture verses we can quote. It's not the doctrines of the church we can spout off. Our faith is not in a religion. Our faith is in a person. It's in Jesus, who you know. You don't just know that there was one guy a couple thousand years ago named Jesus who was executed on a cross. No, you know that Jesus died for you. And you don't just know that on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, even though we covered that in the Apostles' Creed, right? We say it week after week here in church. But you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that means, because you believe that, that you too, even though you will die one day, you will also live again because you belong to Christ. As Paul says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all who you know. My prayer for you seven today, and for all of us, is that we would look to the greatest patron for our significance. The one who created this entire world, who endowed the people who are most praised and celebrated in our world. He gave them their skills. The one who created you and me and who loves us so dearly that he wants to spend eternity with us. May we cling to the ultimate patron, the Father, through Jesus, and look to him for our significance today and always. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may it guard our hearts and minds in the one true faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.